Welcome back to another episode of the Daily Wrestling News Show, where we are on a mission to teach, learn, and remember the history of professional wrestling with everyone that wants to join us. And John, uh, we're doing two episodes today. Big, big day. Yes. Good afternoon, sir. How are you? Good, good. Um, today we're talking about, this is a special episode number six, where we're talking about Tales from the Territory. We are specifically focusing in on Polynesian pro wrestling. So uh, that was the episode from last night, Wrestling's Island Dynasty. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I, I literally know nothing about this territory other than uh, the one episode that you did very early on about the about the territory but uh other than that literally everything i know comes from young rock so you know i'm certain a lot of that has been polished in one way or another that uh last night we were going to get some of the real inside stories yes uh so it was episode number three of the show where i where i did uh whatever happened to polynesian pro wrestling and when this was when i found out this was ha this show was happening i'm like well hope i was right because <laughs> these guys are gonna have a, these guys are certainly going to talk about what happened so um and in general in general i was i was right i didn't i didn't talk about the extortion charges that were brought against leah maya but the hot summer night two show that only drew 1900 fans was wow. something that i pointed to um, and we can talk about that because there's things that they didn't say on the show that contributed to the reason why Hot Summer Night 2 drew so low. Um, so we can talk about that when we when we get there. But uh, a pretty good pretty good episode. Uh, the people that you and I really couldn't pick out last week was uh, Rocky Iakea, right. who is the son of King Curtis, who was a big star in Polynesian Pro Wrestling. Lars Anderson. Who is uh, who is not Polynesian? He's Caucasian, and he went over there after the death of Peter Maivia. He went over there and helped Leah Maivia run the territory. Kevin Sullivan, who had uh, apparently memorable uh, stint there in Polynesian pro wrestling, and Bruno Lauer, who I would never—if you told me Bruno Lauer, I would not know who you're talking about. But if you said Harvey Wimpleman, I would know exactly who you're talking about. <laughs> And once again, I, I don't want to lean on this like a crutch because obviously I know it's part fiction, but it took me almost to the end of the season one of Young Rock to put together that downtown Bruno, his buddy that he spent all this time with, was Harvey freaking Whippleman. Like, yeah. I, I had no idea. And even seeing him last night now, you know, he, he's older, he's got the bald head, but he doesn't seem like that. To, to use an old wrestling phrase, that pencil neck geek that was the Harvey Whippleman <laughs> character, I'm not sure I would have guessed that's who that was, even sitting there just staring at his face and listening to him talk. That's funny too, because such a memorable character in in wrestling is Harvey Harvey Whippleman. But yeah, um, so a lot of this we're talking about the early '80s. And, you know, yes, before that, but a lot of it, a lot of what we're talking about was, was in the eighties. And, um, I was surprised to hear some of the reasoning why Polynesian pro wrestling was so enormous. It's surrounded by thousands of miles of water right. and it's the most remote outpost of the national wrestling Alliance. And apparently the reason why it was so important is that 
planes had to stop there to refuel. <laughs> I, not something they have to do today, but uh, a nice layover, I guess. So the wrestlers had to stop there if they were going to Japan. So might as well, you know, get a payday. Yeah, that's it's incredible. It literally it was for the same reason that it's you know our fiftieth state, you know, because it, it was strategic. It, it's yeah. this, this beautiful little cluster of islands midway between our west coast and Japan, and it worked out for wrestling as well. Right. So, uh, so the High Chief Peter Maivia is the central character, right, of of Polynesian pro wrestling, and it is interesting he's trained in new zealand he started polynesian pro with his wife he put samoans on the map so to speak and in the process uh not really so much during his lifetime would he know that he started a multi-generational dynasty in wrestling and i think rocky iakea says it really well when he says you know polynesian people the people from the various islands in the in the pacific are relatively small in number yes and their impact on the professional wrestling business far outweighs their numbers it's way disproportionate absolutely yeah and it's i don't know if that's maybe you know he he talked about how when you were on the islands when tv first came in there was like three channels like obviously same thing was here on the mainland but i guess maybe it lasted a little longer out there for you know broadcast reasons and whatnot but so wrestling was always on and you watch wrestling or you watch nothing and it, it almost became kind of like the islanders national pastime like he doesn't say that i'm not putting words in his mouth but it just became like it was just what you did like growing up here on the mainland states you probably played little league, even if you you know punched out after t-ball or whatever. You you probably played some baseball. Out there, you watched and were engulfed by wrestling. What's what's interesting about pro wrestling, and we don't talk about it probably enough, is that it can be at times a way of um, exuding nationalistic pride. And you saw you you probably remember uh, or have looked back in like the the 80s. There was always you know a Corporal Kirshner or a Hacksaw Jim Duggan fighting a Russian of some kind or a German of some kind. And in the you know following the 1940s, if somebody from Japan came to the United States, they were a bad guy. If one of us went over there we were bad guys it didn't matter how over they were in their home country if you went to the other side you were a a big time heel yep. and in polynesian pro if you were from the islands you were a face and if you were not from the islands you were a heel so you they talked about all the all the great big faces that went to the islands and they were all heels yeah 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 the, the white guys came in the mainlanders came in and that's that's instant heel status before you open your mouth. Yeah. And there and the reason it's it's so good for nationalistic pride is that it's you know it's predetermined and you know you can put the you can put the hometown hero over and in a in a manner of, of speaking you can kind of create your your own great story. So so that's what they did a lot and when Leah Maivia took over the territory that was certainly the um 
what she was going after in all the angles it seemed like you know that keeping the uh the hometown people kind of on top there were stories that uh they told where like the, the most memorable story was the one where it was uh king curtis versus um neth mayavia right. and it was the the riot that happened and this was just a, a native-born hawaiian versus a samoan so this was now you have the same sort of tension from the hometown versus you know the away team so to speak um but they were they were all islanders i guess yes. um but that that riot john incredible story yeah yeah and uh uh who was it king curtis's dad was a cop uh yes. i believe so a he... forefather-in-law i'm not they just said the it was rocky right his, his, his grandfather. grandfather i'm not right. sure if it was uh which side of the family right yeah. uh, but uh, he was a he was a police officer so he was in charge of security so he lined one side of the the ring with uh samoan young officers and the other side with uh native hawaiian officers and you know when kind of you know to keep their own people in in line just okay you know because again this is this was 1963 so this was definitely the the era of kayfabe could get you stabbed you know by the end of the match uh and yeah the they they did a they did a spot where uh neff came into the corner to come after king curtis and yeah king it was a uh, it was so uh neff Maivia took 80 percent of the match or whatever and he throws King Curtis into the corner and he goes to the other side to he's going to go into a flying headbutt in the corner, which was his finisher. And in the process of just before, you know, he's about to make contact, King Curtis moves out of the way and takes the turnbuckle pad with him. So Nefmyvia slams into the turnbuckle head first. And of course, he's a bloody mess. And they said that the blood splattered like 30 or 40 feet. So he must have had like a squirt gun or something like that. <laughs> and, uh, and they, you know, the, to continue to sell it, uh, King Curtis ties Nefmayavia's hair in the ropes and pops an Elka-Seltzer in his mouth. The Elka-Seltzer fizzes up, but because he's got blood everywhere, it comes out of his mouth red. So it's a, I can imagine it must look like a complete massacre. Yeah. And at this point, the Samoan, the Samoan fans have, have had enough and they're jumping the barricade. Now in the back, the high chief Peter Mayavia is waiting to hear the bell to come make the save. Right. But the bell never rings because when the fans stand up to jump the barricade, the bell hits the ground and the, the guy who the timekeeper is like trying to get to it, to ring it. Well, he finally does. And he comes out and he rings the bell and, you know, Peter Mayavia comes out and he's, he tries to calm the crowd down or whatever, but before he can, a cement brick comes flying out of the crowd and it hits one of the young officers in the head and kills him. And so Peter Mayavia eventually calms the crowd down by basically saying, don't insult me by trying to do what I'm supposed to do. You know, I've got this under control. And so, I mean, that's the story, but man, uh, talk about your kayfabe. We talked about it in all of these territory episodes and it really wasn't that long before like, you know, the, the bombastic Hulk Hogan era where we all kind of knew that it was just, you know, silly fun, but, you know, go back just 10 years before that. And 
it it wasn't like that. No, and it it it, it speaks to just how iconic of a character uh, High Chief Peter Maivia was. That there's this brawl breaking out, and it's it's you know Team A versus Team B. It's the Samoans versus the Hawaiians who would otherwise be on the same team had a white guy been involved in the match. But I, maybe it's even extra nasty because it is us versus them, but us versus them, us and them aren't that different. And the fact that he could just come out, grab the microphone and say, don't insult me. You know, the, the, you know, let me handle this to keep the, the cops at bay, to keep it from turning into God only knows what. And that it calmed the people down. They, they all, to a person respected him so much like his you know when if you've ever been in any kind of going back to grammar school when, when you get into a frenzy and there's a big mob happening that mob mentality takes over and common sense goes out the window this man spoke and everyone calmed down that is amazing yeah it is it's it's pretty incredible and i i like i always love hearing these stories about um you know, you know, the rock, the rock has in his opening, he says, you know, in the golden age of professional wrestling, when the wrestling business was protected and the passionate fans still believed. And I love hearing these stories about when the fans believe, because there's just a little bit of extra realism. Um, a lot of extra realism, I guess that was in the product. Um, and I still have to imagine that at some level, everybody kind of probably still knew that it was a predetermined thing, but but they were so much more invested when, when it was protected. Um, it, and it, listen, it's way better that it's not, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, these stories just are incredible from the time when it really, really much it was. So um, the other kayfabe type of story that they talked about, uh, and it's funny, you and I just did 45 minutes talking about the Montreal screw job and other screw jobs that happened, uh, you know, before that. This one with Kevin Sullivan was sort of a reverse screw job, <laughs> and it was because he was afraid for his life that he won. If he won the match, he wouldn't make it out of the building. That was one of the, you know, it was it was a very quick story. There wasn't a whole lot to it, but that was one of the most amazing stories I think we've heard throughout the, these six episodes. That uh, you know he's there, and he said the whole the whole way in they were performing in a rugby stadium, and he's he's driving to the venue, and he sees all these you know big three hundred pound Samoans, and he's he's watching them you know their pig roasts are right out in the open, and he's watching them rip the flesh off the pig that they've just roasted, and he's saying to himself like, yeah, I don't want to mess with these guys. Then he gets in the building that night and finds out that he's going to go over uh, Siva Afi, yeah, and win the title. And at this point, uh, the high chief has passed and Leah and Lars are in charge of the business. And they tell him, don't worry, you're going to be protected. Here's some guy, you know, these are the guys that are going to get you back through the curtain after the match. And as he goes out there, he sees these guys who are supposed to protect him are drinking and, you know, hooting it up with the other guys at ringside that he's worried might kill him <laughs> if he wins this match. And they had stoked the fires. Uh, Leah specifically told him to go out and call the, the Hawaiian people or the Samoans coconut, refer to them as coconuts. Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the crowd is in a frenzy against this, you know, 
uh, mainlander who's who's here fighting their guy and Siva Afi was hugely over as the champion and Sullivan just grabs him pulls him down on top of him and then uh, the referee doesn't know what the hell's going on he knows what the script's supposed to be and Sullivan just looks at the referee and says count or I'll kill you <laughs> one two three and he runs back through the curtain and I think I think he said backstage they didn't even know they barely knew that the match had started. They were kind of looking at him like, "What are you doing back here? What happened?" They they weren't fully paying attention, but he feared for his life, and there was no way he was going over in front of that crowd. Yeah, he said that as he went out, he actually felt them closing in on him as he was going out for the match. So he's like, "I'm never going to get out of here." And he he actually said, "You know, they they counted counted three, and he said four seconds later, I was in the back drinking a beer and." The, and Leah's going, go back out there. Go back out there. You need to you need to re-challenge or whatever. <laughs> so, but you know, there was there's those those two stories really stuck out to me. You know, the other um it is kind of, is interesting, like almost like a reverse kayfabe that happened as well when uh when Bruno Harvey Wimpleman came into the territory and you know he's gonna be a heel manager, so he starts ripping on Samoans, Samoans. Um and, and Leah's like, well, if you don't like us, you can just leave. I don't want you around. And Harvey has to explain, well, I was actually just trying to be a heel. So. <laughs> kind of cut a heel promo here for you. I, I, yeah. I was, this is what you'd expect. So we talked about, uh, you know, they, and they, they they sort of just allude to it on, on the edges. Where they, they really talk about The Rock an awful lot um, in terms of the legacy of Leah and, and Peter Mayavi. And, of course, he is an enormous aspect of that, but they also showed pictures of Roman Reigns, but you also have the Usos and Rikishi and Yokozuna and the, uh, the wild Samoans in WWE and the head shrinkers. Rosie and yeah, yeah. yeah. Jamal and Rosie, you know, tons and tons and tons of layers to this family. Jacob Fatu, who's wrestling today, you know, there's just, they're everywhere. Yeah. So when, when, uh, um, Iakea, Rocky Iakea says, you know, our numbers are small, but our impact is huge, hugely disproportionate. He's not kidding. And and this all kind of stems, all of these people stem from what Leah and Peter started in Polynesian pro wrestling. So I think I even said at the end of episode three that I that, you know, when you when when you ask the question of whatever happened to Polynesian pro wrestling, the, the best answer, the bright side answer is looking at all of these people and saying that's what happened. And, and the legacy lives on and shows no sign of slowing down. I mean, you know, we just saw The Rock's daughter debut in NXT. That's so right, yeah. It was a fourth generation on the way. That's right. Um, the Billy Robinson story from Peter Maivia to kind of to tell you, like, this was not... Now, this one, had, this one was gruesome and it had nothing to do with kayfabe. Yeah. It had everything to do with respecting the culture and when they're at a restaurant and peter maivia is eating with his hands and billy robinson calls him a savage the i mean billy robinson every other story i've ever heard about him is he's like a, he is a legitimate shooter you know he knows how to like wrestle and hurt somebody and here you have him uh he gets knocked over he gets his eyeball torn out and he gets thrown through a window in like a matter of seconds yeah it's uh, it's a pretty incredible story. <laughs> yeah, and it, it almost it almost was out of place in the episode because every other thing about 
the high chief was about how warm and what obviously he was a badass in the ring, but it was about how warm and wonderful of a human being he was, how respected he was, how loved he was. And here he is having dinner with this other legitimate badass took something to be insulting. And before you knew it, he altered the, the, you know, the course of this guy's life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and they said that after that, that's why you always see him with, you know, a, a go funny weird eye. eye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you watched Young Rock, there is an episode called Backyard Brawl BQ. Yes. And they talk about having a big event. That event is no doubt a hot summer night. And a hot summer night was an event that they had at Aloha Stadium. There were 12,000 people there. They had names from everywhere. Um, they had you know Crockett, AWA, New Japan Pro Wrestling, WWF. They were all there. Titles were on the line. You had the WWF Junior Heavyweight title, the AWA Light Heavyweight title. The NWA World title was on the line in the main event. It was Ric Flair against uh, Siva. And so this was an enormous event. 12,000 people. Huge success. And when I was researching episode three of the show, I talked about that. I mean, they had all the big names. Andre the Giant, Antonio Inoki, Ric Flair. Huge, huge names. This is in 1985. I didn't realize that the sharks were circling the waters here. Sure. And that's what they told last night on this on the episode, that, that the reason all of these different promotions were eager to get involved is because they all wanted part of the territory. Yeah, and uh, and I guess she had she had some other investors already like you know obviously the territory was hers leah ran the territory lars was her right hand man and between the two of them they pretty much got everything done they needed to get done but i guess they had other investors who also kind of wanted more of the territory or a bigger slice of the pie and uh lars so there's the horrible story about lars sullivan getting jumped after a an event by guys that after they were going to kill him, they were beating him half to death. And then they were going to drag him to the water and throw him in the ocean. And either he was going to drown or they were going to drown him. That was the plan. It got broken up by the police or whatever. And I guess these guys were never put to task for, I don't know if he was afraid to uh, file charges or whatever, but he sat in boardrooms or in meeting rooms going forward across the table from these people for yeah. you know the, the rest of the run of Polynesian pro wrestling. And it just, it's just, an, it's just insane to think that these things went on and it, it, because it was the wrestling business, a lot of times it seems like their justice wasn't done a lot because, well, it's just the wrestling business. And this happened uh, in Lahaina, which is on the West coast of Maui. And, um, should note that by the way between everything that happens in the you know continental united states you know right now we got elections election results coming in we have a hurricane about to hit florida there's wildfires in what in in western maui going on right now that you know are 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 kind of spreading out of control a little bit so uh thoughts to those people i guess we since that we don't really get any news coverage on that but um so yeah, uh, 
that those are crazy stories about people kind of circling the waters. And then they have this other guy uh, who is their commentator, Dunbar Wakayama, who decides I'm going to run my own promotion. And they're like, okay, well, you're going to owe us a booking fee for anybody that you try to use um, that any of our wrestlers. And so uh, they, they kind of threaten him by sight by kind of, they say they're going to cut off their, his son's balls and put them in his mouth. Um, So it was, it was fairly serious. He got spooked. He called the FBI. So the FBI um, gives Dunbar a wire. He goes in, has the meeting with those guys. He pays them off money exchange hands as Lars and Leah leave. The FBI picks them up uh, guns drawn, picks them up, puts them in jail. They spend a couple of days in jail and then they have a, a long trial. 13 months or something like that is the trial. Um, and I believe the acquittal doesn't come until 89 or something like that. So it's actually the, the, I don't think they did justice to the timeline of events that were happening because summer hot summer night was in 1985, hot summer night two was 1986. And then this stuff must've happened afterwards, but there were, so they were brought up on extortion charges and it wasn't until the, head of the NWA uh, comes in, Bob Geigel, and he explains the whole concept of a booking fee to the jury. Jury, And at that point, everything, the customs are understood and they get their acquittal. But in the meantime, you've had, you've had uh, Leah gets deported and, you know, she's got eyes on this trial for this whole time. And she had a bad house um and and continue to have bad house bad houses and she tried to do a, a run in the the west coast of the united states which they didn't talk about in in the documentary but um all that's happening and at the same time the other thing they didn't talk about is between 85 and 86 vince mcmahon starts running in hawaii yeah. so all of this stuff is happen happens and it kind of the bad house which barely covered the stadium although a stadium and then you know uh miss you know a couple of misses on the west coast of the united states vince mcmahon comes into hawaii and she's busy with extortion trial this is kind of the end of polynesian pro wrestling and vince is no longer sending his talent to her you know with a you know a free and open and happy exchange because yeah he's trying to cut in on that as well so yeah but a hot summer night, the first one was wildly successful. The second one, um, they talked about just 1,900 fans there, and what they didn't say, what they didn't talk about is the fact that a tropical storm was circling the islands right up until the show. So yeah. nobody really wanted. So first of all, wrestlers couldn't get there, and fans didn't want to sit out in the rain for five hours because this was an open air stadium. So. So there, you know, I, I give them that excuse. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? And it's, you know, it's amazing that uh, the way the weather plays a part in that, you know, uh, the, 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 the big show at Shea stadium, uh, the very first one, it still did 18,000 fans, but they thought it was going to do close to double that, but it was a rainy, windy day that was unseasonably cold. So that kept the numbers down there. That's you're talking about 1972, 1983. Uh, Crockett runs the first Starcade, and you know we always talk about Vince McMahon. He did the first million 
uh, viewer, I think, or maybe it was million dollar closed circuit, but Crockett beat him to the punch 18 months earlier. It just so happened that most of the closed circuit was going to be in the southern United States, and they were in the middle of a, a an um, awful winter storm. So a lot of people didn't even leave their house to go to the movie theater and watch it. So they did poor numbers, but that, you know, that was Crockett's idea. And, you know, just the weather can literally play a part in, in, you know, Vince McMahon is known for WrestleMania Starcade while it went on for 19 or 20 years, whatever it was, it's always kind of seen as lesser than WrestleMania, even though it beat it to the punch. And in this case here, it almost, you know, the, the weather, played a decent part in wiping out a territory yeah a big part a big part and uh you know it's funny though you talk about all those situations with the weather um wrestlemania in 2021 was on delay for night one this was the return after the the global pandemic or maybe we were still in it depending on on who you ask and Mm. probably most people would tell you we were they you know i I was there in the arena amongst a whole bunch of cardboard cutouts. Um, and yeah, so the, the whole, the thing was delayed. I don't know that very many people didn't go because of that. Um, I mean, most people buy their tickets for those things in advance now, as opposed to those days they were waiting on a big walk-up audience, but yeah, the weather can the weather can certainly play a role. And the other thing we didn't say: twelve thousand people sourced from the the island is incredible. Yes. And and nineteen eighty five. So when you know when when Rocky Ayakea says you know you watch wrestling or watch nothing, I got to imagine in eighty five there was something besides wrestling to entertain you with. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Rocky's talking back to when he was a kid in the 1960s where it was, you know, wrestling was only one of three things on by 85, you know, cable TV is, is almost ready to, to break, you know, bust open everything. And yeah, that's what helped Vince McMahon explode his product. Yes. Yep. So uh, a fun store, a fun episode. Uh, I think that it's, it's, it's nice because of all the territories, this one I feel like gets talked about maybe the least, sure. despite having such a legacy. I mean, this legacy of the of the the Anawahi dynasty is incredible. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't even talk about it. you know Rocky Johnson is kind of in there, married into there too. So like, it just it's it's an incredible, incredible dynasty, um, and it, an incredible territory. And it's completely tangible in today's product and right in front of your face. You can see it every week when you turn on your TV. Uh, And in the case of Roman, you know, with rabbit ears, you can pull it out of the sky. You don't even need cable TV. That's true. He's on Fox every week. So or close to every week. But uh, yeah, (laughs) that, that legacy lives on and still lives very healthily. It's not on its last legs by any means. Yeah. Next week is Portland, the Pacific Northwest. And this is a territory that, I mean, I know that right now there are whole podcasts that continue to talk about this territory long after it's, it's, it's been gone. And so next week I'm looking forward to some Roddy Piper stories um, amongst, amongst many others. Uh, Bushwhacker Luke is probably the name that most people are going to know from yeah. the panel next week. Um, 
who looks great, by the way. Um, Mike Masters, Len Denton, and Princess Victoria are the other ones. So I'll I'll be really interested. I think it's going to be a fun episode next week. Yes, because uh, as I've said, you know, growing up in this area, WWF is almost all of my childhood. But I at least knew of some of the other territory. You know, I knew the AWA. I knew Florida, this, that, and the other. I know nothing about the Pacific Northwest uh, territory other than the fact that before he popped on my radar in ECW, Raven was big in that territory. That's about all I know about the territory. I suggest that we'll, you'll find out a lot of uh, really important figures made their starts in Portland next week. Yeah. So, I, you know, and including, I don't want to say he made a start, but Roddy Piper was, I mean, it was, that's, that's where he really became Roddy Piper. So, sure. All right. That said, I think that wraps it up for today. Uh, like I said, good episode of Polynesian Pro Wrestling. Don't forget to subscribe. You can uh, listen to a new episode every single day. John, what's coming up tomorrow? November November 10th. What's the November 10th episode? Let's... Oh, geez. I should have prepared this, right? Uh, I know. I'm, I'm looking it up right now. I've got, <laughs> I've got be episode number 74. And it is what made Santino's second Intercontinental title run so special. That uh, one was written by you, sir. This is one of my favorite ones to go through. So, yes, I hope you enjoy it tomorrow morning. There's a good amount of chuckles in it if you're into that kind of thing. And I'll be closing the week with what title changed hands on Survivor Series Showdown. So uh, it's an oldie buddy goodie. I think once you figure out the era we're talking about, you'll be like, eh, not. What, what, no titles changed hands at that time. Well, one did. So, <laughs> all right. That said, John, we're out of here. Thanks everybody for listening or watching because we did this one live uh, video on Facebook. We will talk with you tomorrow. See ya.